Hey, Crit Nation, we wanted to do something special. We're not sure if everyone knows, but we started delving into other tabletop RPGs on our new show, Dice and Dialogue. Now, enjoy this episode of Dice and Dialogue, and make sure to head on over to rebrand.ly slash Dice and Dialogue and subscribe to our new RSS feed and make sure you don't miss out on any episodes. Join Dice and Dialogue, Cypher System uh, RPG Tabletop. This is part two, and discover the step-by-step process for creating unique and powerful characters in Numenera, a tabletop role-playing game set in a far future world. From choosing your character type and descriptor to assigning pools and choosing <laughs> abilities, equipment, and ciphers, this podcast will guide you through the process of bringing your character to life. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy Dyson Dialogue. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Alex. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. We are excited to delve into this step-by-step process uh, for Numenera. This is part two. Uh, if you missed the last episode, make sure to go back and give that a shout out or check out. Um, so when designing a character in most RPGs, there's a nice flow that goes with it, right? Yep. And each RPG is a little bit different. And um, we really want to talk about the, the, the details of how to create your character in Numenera, but also the kind of examples of some of those different features that make Numenera such a really fun character creation process. And one thing I mentioned last episode, too, it, we'll be using the, these terms interchangeably for the most part, but Numenera is like the setting, whereas the Cypher system is the game engine. <laughs> Yes, and Cypher System is very versatile to game genres. Yeah, so. and I mean, mentioning that will actually become very important during step one. <laughs> right, right. So th- one of the very first things you do when you ch- are building your character is you're going to choose the type. Alex, what are the three different types? So it's actually super interesting and unique. I've never seen somebody do it like this. Yep. You are blank, or it's blank, is a blank, blank, who blanks so it's your name is a and then essentially your background slash personality as a adjective or an yeah an adjective and then what you are your class you could call it who and then your subclass it's beautiful and for the most part the subclasses are open to all the classes yeah uh so when you start your character um they fit under certain categories, right? Yep. Glaive, Nano, or Jack. If you use Numenera. <laughs> and that, that's what these notes were based on specifically. Yeah. So we'll keep that in mind. But the setting changes those turns. Basically, a Glaive is like a warrior. Yep. Uh, a, a Nano is almost like a Technomage. Yeah. Right? Or a Scion or something along those lines. They're very general terms. Yeah. But they kind of categorize everything. And that's interesting that because depending on which setting you go off of, based off of the Cypher system, those terms can change. Yep. But if you go off to the Cypher System book, you actually have four tapes to choose from, which are Warrior, Adept, Explorer, and last, most certainly not least, Speaker. Which I think is what uh, Alex ran on our yes. uh, game, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And I ran an Adept, and I believe you ran a, a Warrior. That was Warrior. Yeah. So, um, so you get to you start by choosing your type, and each one of these kind of controls the different um, unique abilities, skills, and powers that your character may have access to. So, Alex, uh, well, we'll start with Brandon first. Then each of us can tell us a little bit about some of the unique skills that came with your type when you played on our, our game. Brandon, you chose uh, the the Glaive, which is the warrior. So yeah. what was the one or two abilities that really made that character class kind of come uh, stand out? Uh, there was three abilities that, that, that just came jumping out at me, and it was all mechanical. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a skill. Uh, two of them were kind of passive, and that was being um, the ability to use light, medium, and heavy armor, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And no. uh, you can also have the ability to use light, medium, and yeah. heavy weapons, too. So yeah. it gave you a- options to certain equipment. Although I do want to point out, though, the actual skills, the actual skill section themselves, actually come from your descriptor and, and focus, not your... Uh, oh, well, then that might, be my, that might be my bad, then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
the notes here. But yep. all right, so you got yeah. some interesting uh, skills that set your warrior apart, specifically giving you access to equipment that others don't really have, right? Right. Alex, what about you? You had a speaker. Speaker was described as also being like a bard. Speaker or like like the bard class in D&D. Speaker was described mm-hmm. as being uh, the personable person, the mouth of the party, right? So I got things like I get like I have a skill of getting a hunch about the people around you. Um I get social I get a skill in social interactions and because of this I got an inability for intellect defense roles. So f- Inability is something, a flaw that your character innately has, which I think is another wonderful thing to have because it means while everyone else can get a target DC, and as we discussed in the last episode, they can add assets, edges, and skills to lower it, and inability automatically raises it one level. Yes. Yeah. And I do think the everything that, that is in the SRD is in this book. It's just the way it's organized. Is- yep different i think so and i do apologize for that because we're going yeah my notes go off of the book so yeah the Um, srd was just so much easier for me to read because it was actually (laughs) in a word doc so i could change the whole thing into comic songs but the word doc was not but the word doc didn't have page numbers associated with them in any way so so anyways (laughs) uh so uh so we got the 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 glaive which was the warrior the speaker which is kind of like a bard and then what did you pick uh and i picked the adept which is basically your mage type. Yeah, which I think clad- was classified as nano, too. Or are those different? D- they're totally different. Oh, well, whatever. Yep. There's but, a lot of them. Well, the three you mentioned <laughs> were from, from Numenera. I'm talking about from the... From, from the, the Cypher system book. Yes. So. All right, so tell us a little bit about your adapt uh, well, type. All right, in a nutshell, I gained some player intrusions, which allows me to make enemy devices malfunction in some way, shape, or form. Now, granted, these intrusions all require me to spend the XP to do them. Mm-hmm. I can get a convenient idea to help move things forward, or I can, well, basically repair a device which also includes ciphers. Very convenient. Yep. So it's very thematic, this type yep. that you pick, right? Yep. And they, and they do have a starting pool of like 7 in might, 9 in speed, and 12 in intellect, and I can distribute 6 points any way I want after that. And I... At first tier, anyway, my effort's one. I have an intellect edge of one. I can hold three ciphers. I get my equipment. I can use light weapons. I have an ability with the other weapon types. And I can choose from four abilities from my list. So basically, once you pick your type, you're picking your core sets of features that your character has. Yep. Um, And that's supposed to help your character stand out in that respect. Now, once you've done that... Oh, and I do want to stress that I can only start with four abilities. That will be important later. <laughs> Didn't know that. Is that because that's a feature, or everyone start with four? I start with four because I'm I, I'm an adept. <laughs> okay. Not everyone starts with four. Some others start with what two or three? Yes. Okay. Um. So now that you've decided on your your character type or your class, I guess. Um. I think the inclusion of a descriptor is pretty uh a, a great detail. Yep. Um, in and of itself because it gives you a way to describe your character to everyone else, especially when you write out this entire um, sentence that uh, uh, Alex had shared with you earlier. The descriptor is the adjective that determines basically personality, background, and skills. Uh, Brandon, which uh, descriptor did you end up picking in your sample? Yeah. Uh, we skipped I flavor. Chose, I chose hardy. Yep. It's what? Hardy? Hardy. So without knowing the mechanics of Hardy, we can kind of get an idea of what it does. If you had to guess what Hardy did without looking at any stats. You can take damage. That's what I think. It makes you tougher. What about you, Alex? Yeah, I think it makes you tougher. And also I think of things of like poison resistance and um, just I think of like raccoons. <laughs> raccoons are very are hardy. hardy creatures. <laughs> Well, that you do eat garbage, and their immune systems get the military equivalent of uh, military assault rifles, phosphorus, phosphorus grenades, and cluster bombs. So, right, definitely exactly. hardy, I would say. Um, so, what kind of ability, uh, if you had to pick one of the core abilities that come from that, what would it be from that adjective? Because each descriptor gives you different abilities, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, what's one that comes with being hardy? Uh, let's see. Well, first you get plus four to your might pool. Right, so With you're that, b- beefing sense. up your strength, basically. Uh, you have the time it takes to make a recovery roll. Oh, so you so, heal quicker. Yes. 
You're also uh, almost yeah. unstoppable. This is actually really good. For almost Hardy. unstoppable. Almost unstoppable. I'm glad that it says almost because that would be well, like you're nearly unstoppable. Listen, well. listen, 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 listen. While you are impaired on a damaged track, you function as if you were hail. While you are debilitated, you function as if you were impaired. In other words, you don't suffer the effects of being impaired until you become debilitated, and you so never if you get suffer, to dead, are you not dead yet? You never suffer the effects of being debilitated. You still die if all your pulls go to oh. zero. But... <laughs> oh, okay. So, oh, okay. It, it only helps until you're dead. Well, I guess once you're dead. <laughs> and the skill it gives you is uh, training might defense actions, which makes it so that when you're using might to defend against something, mm-hmm. it eases it, so it automatically lowers the difficulty. Oh, that's cool. See, yep. so once again, that simple descriptor fleshed out the stats of his character, which means he can pick a glaive or warrior and so could Ian. Yep. But as soon as they pick different descriptors, their characters are all way different. Yep. But Hardy comes with two cons. Uh Oh, you're hard to, you got to take a lot to eat. You got to eat a bunch like a full inability. Pizza a day. Your big, strong body is slow to react. Any task involving initiative is hindered. Oh no, you're slow. <laughs> Ponderous, when you apply effort when making a speed roll, you must spend one extra point from your speed pool. So that would definitely so, be yeah. some pretty tough flaws for that. Yep. And what about you? I ended up picking Mystical, and what I got from choosing this was I get plus two to my intellect pool, which is how it became. And, and, and intellectual. Yep. I am trained in all actions involving identifying or understanding the supernatural. I can sense magic if I study an area or object for one minute. I can perform the hedge magic ability if I have a free hand and can pay the cost. In other words, this gives me a extra ability for free. That's cool. Yeah. And now here's where the inability comes in. I give up my unnerving aura, so any <laughs> task involving charm, precision, or deception is hindered. Wait, are we talking about you or your character? Yes. Okay. so once again the descriptor gives a collection of abilities some good some bad which helps flesh out the concept that you're going for and in this case we've learned that he's an adept which means he's some sort of magic user or technical techno user and then he also has a supreme intellect which means not all um adepts are geniuses right yep he's chosen to go that route and i think that's really good and focus on magic yeah Alex, what about your character? So I chose the descriptor empathetic, and empathetic allowed me to have skills, so like in boons for uh, tasks involving sensing other people's emotions. So you might see mm-hmm. that as insight if you're a Dungeons and Dragons uh, refugee. Um, and also <laughs> discerning discerning <laughs> dispositions. <laughs> Uh, the discerning dispositions would also be, uh, I would see that more as perception. Um, okay. But this, so you really doubled I, down on that character concept because you picked yeah, a speaker kind of, type and a descriptor that aligns with it. Okay. Yeah. But I just real. I think, I think my inability also came, I think I was incorrect. I think my inability also came because I remember it saying you are easily like rused, like you're easily... Um, like you're like almost like you're gullible. Um, mm-hmm. but you just you you feel for people, and it's really easy to persuade you. So my intellect defense, my intellect defense roles are hindered. So yeah. I have a, you're the person that gives every uh vagabond you pass begging for some coin a few shin, huh? Like you're so empathic that you invite people into you emotionally, it opens you up to emotional attacks. What comes yeah. down to exactly, and you get plus four to your intellect pool as well. Well, even then. Uh, her specific character was a big help with the game. Yeah, it was. Well, her, uh, all of them were, though. I don't know how. I still don't understand how you can have such high might and still just fail every. He got he got grappled by a, a, a tentacle monster because the high might is. I just I'd roll a die, and it's so low. It's like okay, it's, you said it's a difficulty. What three? I don't think I don't think the difficulties were that high. Yeah, you said difficulty three. When you roll ones that's, and twos, that's nine. And I'm rolling, <laughs> rolling a fucking four. It's like okay, well, shit. Sorry, dude. I don't want to spend effort because I don't know what's coming up next. <laughs> All right. Hey, Ian. But that's part of the challenge, Yo, right? What was your final pool for intellect? My final pool for intellect was 16. Ah, mine's 18. Is that good? And that oh, makes sense because like a... you got a plus four. I got a plus two. My, my pool Remember, and see, that's, it's worth noting that um, unlike games like uh, that you may be a a D&D refugee, there's only three categories, so a lot of stuff gets bundled into the same yeah. stat. Okay. And now, I did... 
one reason why I didn't mind pumping up my intellect so high is I haven't been based on my skills, but as we mentioned before, all three of your pools huh. double edge your health. Mm-hmm. And by default, your might pool is hacked first, then your speed pool, then your intellect pool. Okay. So I didn't, since I sucked with the physical stuff anyway, I didn't mind my might pool being. Right, right. I will say, though, it is quite impressive that both of us are intellect based. Yeah. Like, you know, yes. in, in again, in D&D for D&D refugees, there's five different <laughs> stats, right? There's three physical stats and three mental stats. And still, sometimes there's crossover where it's like, oh, I could play. I could, I could, mold, you know, there's all this kind of. But really, there was no crossover from our two characters in really all, any right. way. Yet we're both intellect. I think that's a, I think that's a really big pro. Oh yeah, it means it's very that just supports what we've talked about in the last episode is the versatility and the diversity of the characters and the world in uh, Cipher System oh, by yeah. extension Numenera. I bet if all three of us made speakers, we all still have different characters. Absolutely, oh, oh, which yeah. is so cool. So, I agree, and and that's once again, I think that's why you can use it as any genre, any 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 world because. It's just as easy uh, – I was talking about the nano class because that's what it was in Numenera when he was talking about Adept. The, the, they're essentially – mechanically, some of the things are similar. Yeah. Or I don't even know. Are they the same? I don't know. I didn't read the Numenera. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I got the Cypher system, but I also have the Numenera book. But um, And they're ideally, they're the same, and the details of each one can be changed just by the way you describe them. Yeah. Like, uh, for instance, if he's a mage user shooting blasts of uh, – you know, a uh, array of energy from his hands, like a wizard versus yep. the nano version might just be my hand coming out of a cybernetic hand and pulling an Iron Man with a repulsor blast or a Mega Man or something. Mm-hmm. Or for that matter, you were using an item, Brendan, in combat, your energy scythe. I just, you know, I had the option to, to use light weapons. I forgot using weapons at all and just use the onslaught ability, which mm-hmm. allowed me a physical and a mental attack just from that one ability. Yeah, now, I don't think it was as strong as the other one, but yours ignored armor, didn't it? If I chose the mind slice ability. Okay, all right. So, uh, anyways. If it was a physical one, it, it would have been double. I see. But. So, as for, you know, the descriptors, yeah. this is a core defining aspect of your character as far as what abilities and bonuses and inabilities that they get. Now, yeah. step three is where it gets really interesting. Um, interesting. So I think I talked about type being similar to a class. I would say the focus is probably more like a, 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 a taking a, a feat into a specific or I'd maybe say, a subclass. I'd say – yeah, I'd say archetype. Archetype. I like archetype better. Let's go with that. So uh, Alex, so would you like to tell us about your foci? So my (laughs) foci was um, explorers in dark places, and uh, that gave me – that was essentially like – think of like a rogue. Think of a person who goes from city to city, going in dark alleys and like doesn't stay in one place for too long, not necessarily doing bad things or nefarious things, just doesn't really like to be tied down at all. That's kind of how that was described to me. What kind of person hides in the dark and is not a bad person? Spooky. Um, uh, that <laughs> game, like Dracula, like Dracula, spooky. That's a bad guy. Um, so, um, <laughs> it, that gave me a superb explorer, which they def- they did. That is such an interesting thing about these skills that we have not talked about. There is no definition for these skills. What I'm reading out was what was yeah. in the book. I copy and pasted it. Yep. Nothing else was in. <laughs> so I just got superb explorer. You know who gets to decide what that means? Justin. Yep. And I did. And that, but that's the point, right? The player might say, "Hey, I have this. Can it help me?" Yep. Yes. Like she wanted to explore, so she wanted to go in and and find a good lookout spot and did you guys figure it out that it was a satellite dish that you climbed up on top of? Anybody no, figure that out? I, didn't. I don't I don't think you did. It was a satellite. Remember I thought you had a bowl at the top? Yeah. It was a yeah, it was an old okay. satellite dish you climbed up top. There was ladder. I thought it was a, a tree with a bullet. <laughs> it was a tree with a bullet. I told you it was made of metal. Like Anyways. The, like debris or something. I don't know. <laughs> but your explorer, that's something that came out of an ability she had that she thought would fit into the scene, yep. which also means the DCs related to that, the difficulty got reduced as well. And But the big thing that focuses do is it allows you 
a further pool of abilities you can choose from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From a mechanic standpoint. Yep. Yes. But it's very vague on what you can use it for because they're meant to be a... Abilities? No. No, the, the <laughs> term of the, descri- the, the foci descriptor. Yeah. They're very vague. And then it gives you a list of abilities that tie to it, but there's not like an in-depth con- detail of exactly what it does. Abide in stone. Your flesh is made of hard metal, making you a hulking, difficult-to-harm humanoid. Yeah, but what does that mean? What makes it difficult to harm? Are you difficult to harm with a punch, with a kick, with a rocket? Do you fall? Do you break and shatter? It's very That's vague for what we normally see, right? For instance, in 5th edition, you have Flesh of Stone that says you gain resistance to piercing, piercing. And slashing. Yep. That's a very specific mechanic compared to what Ian just read. So I'm going to stick to my gun on that one. Anyway, and you picked what, Brendan? My uh, plural for focus is uh, defends the gate. Defends the gate. Defends the gate. All right. And what does that line. mean? They got two two tier one uh, abilities. They can choose from. <laughs> that I was... Yep. That I could choose from? Yeah. Fuck, I chose both. <laughs> <laughs> so first game, I didn't expect us to not make a mistake or uh, five. There was two of them. Uh, one requires two might points, the other requires two intellect points. The one I liked was was the one I wanted to use, but ended up doing the nat 20 hit, mm-hmm. so that's why I didn't need it. <laughs> so you didn't need it? <laughs> it was a fortified position. For the next minute, you gain plus one armor and an asset to your might defense tasks as long as you haven't moved from an immediate distance since your last turn. It's an action to initiate. Why didn't you use that to try to escape your grapple? That would totally fit. <laughs> because I had moved prior to it. No, but you failed that check twice. Well, uh, anyways, oops. yeah. So and The other one was more for uh, uh, the other players, and it's uh, called Rally to Me, two intellect points. You cry out, blow a battle horn, or otherwise signal to everyone within a long range that you require aid, which I know Justin's just itching to, uh, to say that this game uses the same distance model that he uses. I would like to say it does, and I, that just more or less uh, validates my game design choices. Yep. <laughs> All allied creatures who respond by moving to within an immediate distance of you within the next few rounds gain one asset on any one attack or defense task within the next It's a battle hour. shout. Yes. That's awesome. Yep. Would you... Uh, so how would how would you have flavored that? Because uh, as Ian mentioned, we didn't touch on flavoring too much, but no. the game highly encourages you to create unique flavor for whatever it is you do. Brandon, how would you have done that? Handled that? Would you just shout it? Help! I don't know how I would have flavored it. Just shout then. It says you could uh, shout. I use a horn. Some form of battle shout. Would be just a battle shout, or maybe maybe because I was a robot. I had a robot body. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, like, my arm would open up on the bottom and a gong would come out. And I'd go, Doosh. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, a gong? <laughs> That's awesome. But that would be unique <laughs> as hell. I'd like that. No, uh, uh, Alex, you had a really good one with the uh, the description of, like, your the little dart thing in your head. Oh, that thing was so cool. Oh, yeah. It was the coolest thing ever. And she <laughs> took control of my – she enthralled my, my NPCs. I was not happy with that, but – <laughs> I was I was I was working myself up for the little whiny character. So, uh tell us a little bit about that flavor. So, my girl was kind of against her will cybernetically enhanced. Um in a way, uh to to be an empath which we can t- touch on in back backgrounds whenever we go into like what our backstories were and stuff. But she had uh she had piercings all over her face that weren't actually piercings. They were sensors that went back into her connected to her brain. But there's these things called surface piercings, which basically is just like it looks like someone just glued a disc a disc to your face. Um the one in her fore one of the ones in her forehead uh opened up and I have a I have a special ability called enthrall. Uh the one in her so the her forehead opened up and a dart came out and hit the other person and um then and then I take the dart back and put it back and then close it but um that causes the person to come under my spell so you uh you drugged my NPC. <laughs> I did. I, I drugged a little girl, actually, is oh, what it I was did. Bad. And she was she was terrified and scared and concerned, but trying to be helpful. And she's like, I'm tired of this. But it was it's a really cool way to play that bit. ability. It's a little bit of a prick. <laughs> just, just a little poke. Just a little poke. All right. Something we forgot to mention so far in these uh focuses is like a the GM intrusions it gives you. Do you want to give us an example? Why, sure. First off, like, my focus on the being commands mental powers. Yep. I can pull images from dreams and b- bring the life into the waking world. And the GM intrusion that it grants you is 
Something glimpsing the target's mind is horrifying. A feedback loop allows the target to read the character's mind back. <laughs> See, I didn't know that because that would have been fun. Yes. Because you were doing a lot of the mind reading stuff in that game, but that was more of a communication tool. That's not the same thing, is it? Yeah. Now, each focus gives you abilities you can add to your list you can choose from, right. from each tier from one to six. And the one added to mine was telepathic. <laughs> Okay. Which allowed me to connect to an ally at the cost of one intellect pool point for 10 minutes. I could connect to multiple people. Mm -hmm. And if I mm -hmm. spent an extra point, those connections would each then last 24 hours. But because I had an edge, I could reduce the Do cost it. to nothing, to whatever. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know that. But as you become an experienced GM, those are the things you can leverage in your stories and campaigns to take it to the next level. Because now you're leveraging a choice this player made of an ability to take to provide different information. And I'll tell you what, being able to know what the player, as a villain, what the player characters are going to do. Yep. Oh, 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 oh. Yep. I'm going to be setting some traps. Catch you bitches in my claws. And just, and just because I didn't touch on it, the tier two ability I could choose from is mind reading, tier three, psychic burst, or a second suggestion, tier four, use the senses of others, five, precognition, or six, mind control, or telepathic network. See, there's a lot you can do with that. Yeah. Precognition, see his own death. No, no, what not to do? <laughs> I'd rather mind control than talk to multiple people. So, yeah. uh... so all these combined maybe a mystical adept who commands mental powers. That is what my character's class is, quote. And see, so that's the unique part, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Each of these choices is building a your own unique character. Yep. Because there are hundreds of choices in some of these examples. Yep. Now, when we talked earlier about the glaive and the, the nano and the jack, that was just like the ones in the starter book. Yep. There's more. I mean, the oh, game's yeah. got all kinds of expanses. So um, – one thing we want to, I wanted to touch on, we mentioned it kind of briefly, is that step four is usually assigning your character's might, speed, and intellect pools, uh, which basically, rep if you haven't figured out, kind of represents your physical and mental capabilities. Slash um, health. <laughs> <laughs> which includes uh, allow helping you uh, complete certain tasks, you know, intellect for doing research, for instance, or a knowledge check, while might for moving heavy objects or running long distances. And, well, maybe speed could be. I could see a use for speed or might maybe for the running what do you think speed uh, maybe uh i would say might if anything for endurance yeah, and then speed might, for yeah. just how quickly you get there yeah so there's a lot you can do with each of those now for me i think that's critical because you can build a character like the speaker that uh alex made but maybe i want to go a little bit uh a person that likes to persuade but when all when uh when diplomacy fails it moves into Cooter. aggressive negotiations with my fists what were you saying parkour parkour i was thinking aggressive negotiations <laughs> where uh if you don't know that's anything that involves a lightsaber <laughs> but uh for me so we could have two different characters with a different feel just the way we just um we distribute our points yep Right. If she's got more in intellect, which she put all, a lot of her points, I think. I think you said you got an 18. Um, if yeah. I put that down to like a 15 and then increased might, that means there's something she'd be able to get pull one over other people a little more often and understand them. But when I can't make that connection, I just kick them in the face. That's problem solved. You connect so. them with your fucking foot. <laughs> That's a build a physical connection. My pools really, really, really changed whenever i found out the stun stick existed <laughs> because i knew that i wasn't going to be doing damage anyways like i knew right. i wasn't i'm not building a character to do damage like that's not what i'm doing here and so when i found out the stun stick makes them lose a turn i mean that's probably one of the most powerful debuffs that you can do in this game because you don't really have debuffs in this game so right. that's why i decided to put everything in the intellect because i was like fine i'll just use a stun stick which actually helped because the monster you guys were fighting was pretty strong and you stunned yep. it more than once. So Use the freaking um, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a pretty straightforward and uh, a really great use of, you know, a good point on how you can build your character slightly different just by applying to your pool. Mm -hmm. Now, we interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special bulletin. Alex's Bombastic Oddity is a book written by me with the help of Justin with one thing in mind and one thing only, and that is to spark something within you. The point of the book is to get you to create things all on your own by giving you the tools needed 
for GMing in any setting without stepping on your own creativity because that is the most important part here. If that sounds like something that you might be interested in or if you just want to support Crit Academy and uh, me, go ahead and check out the links in the doobly-doo. The next thing you have to do is you have to pick your skills. Now, the skills... What? Go on. You took a deep breath, so I assume I said something wrong. Not yet. <laughs> uh, skills are important Jesus. when it comes to the abilities and knowledge, or the knowledge that your characters possess. Okay. Now, depending on what you choose, you might have skills assigned to you automatically, but some give you a range of choices to choose from. Can you give an example? Like, you mean like a choice of descriptor or type? Like, because I chose like the uh, mystical, for example. My skills were: you understand magic, you can sense magic. Okay. Whereas if I took the uh, like a more intellectual one that involves a lot of studying, it says you know all about subjects. Pick three. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a hardy warrior that defends the gate only has one skill. You don't really get much option there. No, you don't. No. <laughs> I guess the fighters I, are a little more straightforward. Go ahead, Alex. <laughs> I believe that Speaker was the one that gave me a little list of ones yeah. to let me um, choose from. And so those uh, those skills, um, while they are limited based on the descriptor, you still have some versatility there unless you pick the fighter, apparently, or the what was it, the glaive? But once again, uh, these all tie into your character's knowledge and experiences and stuff. So I would say as a, a player, if you're developing a backstory, um, find a way to fit this into that and how you learned it, even with a sentence or two, right? Yes. Um, once you've chosen your skills, you want to choose your abilities, right? Now your abilities and equipment kind of fall under this category. We've already, we had touched previously. Was that this episode or last episode? They put it together. <laughs> that we talked about the equipment. Last episode. Last episode was when I gave my grievances about the equipment. Right. <laughs> okay. And I backed you up on that one. And your abilities, each type allows you a certain amount of abilities. And when you add your focuses, you, it adds to your ability pools you can choose from. And as you move up from, from tier one up to tier six, you can choose abilities as you rank up. So And make them stronger? More efficient or just new abilities just in general. New abilities, okay. new abilities in general. Uh, what about might be improved versions of what you came before, but they're more expensive as a result. So okay. Was there any interesting uh, uh, abilities you got to choose there, uh, Alex? Yeah, one that I didn't get to use. This came from speaker. I have the ability to erase memories. I, that would have been really I helpful. don't know how you would have ruled that. <laughs> I've been all on top. You go, you say, I'm going to erase his memory. What part? <laughs> do it. Make it happen because that's cool. I thought you could do something like that to that little girl you like enthralled. I was going I to, feel like, uh, but then she let us in. I feel like with, with the flavor section, I had something like that too. I think it was something like erase like the last five minutes or less than a minute or something like that. So, so I just want to give the GM's perspective on this. Yeah. You guys walk up, negotiate with a uh, high – ranking soldier and it doesn't go your way erase rewrite try again <laughs> like yeah. i feel like that's almost like a get out of jail free card it can be like hey uh these are not <laughs> the droids you're looking for uh sir it looks like this hologram oh you're looking for droids those are the wrong ones before i enthralled her i was going to knock her feet out so she fell on the ground and then erase her memories and then have her come to, like quotation marks, come to and be like, oh, my God, you fell and you hit your head so hard. <laughs> she had a whole thing worked out already. I did. I had a contingency plan. I, I call did. bullshit. But like. <laughs> and she'd believe you, too. I don't know I if know. you figured it out. She's pretty, I, she's pretty gullible. She was young and yeah, confused. Yeah, she was. I mean, she went, she went into a not cult, so. Yep. A not cult? Not a cult. <laughs> not a cult. I'm telling you, it was an order of the vortex. Yeah. This bastard kept calling Brandon kept calling it a cult. And then the whole time, everyone else started doing it. Hey. I couldn't stop calling hey. it a cult. Hey. It's an order. Every cult never calls himself a cult. A cult. Oh, God. God damn it. <laughs> and they worshipped a garbage disposal. You no, <laughs> they worshipped a power source. It just happened to be double, du uh, double useful as a garbage disposal. They worshipped a quantum tunnel, that tunnel to a star, which they use as a power source. Which you can also just throw. Which was two way. No, and, and technically, <laughs> I love that description to do. So that's, that teleporter's like eh, it's a type of teleporter. <laughs> <laughs> 
forgot about that. Because it wasn't wrong. <laughs> it harnesses the power of a stall to power everything, and then that's yep. what runs the AI and the entire ship. Which, by the way, the temple was a ship that was just yep. designed for an entire uh, um, group of species to colonize colonize the galaxy. Yeah. But anyways, spoiler alert. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I'd like to say that. Uh, <laughs> That's a spoiler alert. Sorry if you yep. <laughs> played the first uh, starter of uh, Numenera. Anyways, Ooh, yeah. so um, once you get your abilities that kind of come from your type, descriptor, and focus, uh, you get to pick in equipment. We touched on a little bit, but I think it's re worth uh, talking about again. The equipment and stuff is very vague. Now, if you've never played Gamma World, this is one of my favorite features of Gamma World, where everything is just, here's what it does. It doesn't give you a description. It just says this is what it does, and it leaves you to describe it. So Brandon, for instance, made his weapon uh, a, a scythe, an energy scythe. Nothing in the, nothing in the data about energy size, right? It's just the form. If he, I remember, it was an energy scythe that looked like a gun. No. Right? I don't recall. You pulled uh, what, the trigger, when I thought. It, when it that was, was the RPG, uh, wasn't it? When it was sheathed and it wasn't in its it pulls form, down. it looked like a... a a gun of some sort. Oh, so it like oh, it yeah, expands. Yeah, yeah. It expands when you click when you pull the trigger. So wait, wait. Not only did you have an energy scythe, you basically had a handheld transformer. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes, <laughs> so cool. <laughs> you press the button. He goes. I can't do this stupid. Ah, <laughs> oh, there it is. I tried. I failed miserably. Anyways, um. So, but that's what makes the game so great. Like, uh, Ian, uh, did you have any particular type? Did you wear armor? No, I didn't need armor because what my what my abilities. Okay. Because because so, I took the word ability, which basically g gave me plus one armor just naturally. I, I did. Okay, so what did your armor look like, Brandon? I had Kevlar steel plates welded to my chest. <laughs> you had Kevlar steel <laughs> steel plates welded to your robotic chest. Uh, yeah. Yep. So how do you get nice. into all that innards with the Kevlar in your way? You take it off. And how is Kevlar steel plates? I thought that those were like a cloth. Just steel plates are under the Kevlar. So you have Kevlar and steel Kevlar, plates. Kevlar, steel plates, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I found a Kevlar vest somewhere, and I just say that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, yours. Yeah. What about you, uh, uh, yours uh, Alex? Did you have any ar – your character have any armor? Um, I had light armor, and what I decided is that it is a mishmash of uh, pieces that I – like, so one of the things about my character was, like, she will, like, travel with adventures for a little while – and then they'll either die or she'll just be like, eh, and then she'll move on. <laughs> uh, like whenever they get too close, she'll move on. Um, and so I, and so it's a bunch of mis, it's a mishmash of armor from people that have been killed in her presence. And then she was like, well, waste not what? <laughs> it's mine now. <laughs> she's got, she's uh, a, 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 a little polder made of steel, maybe a leather belt or sash. <laughs> Please tell me, yeah, like, exactly. somewhere on her arm or shoulder, she's got a tattoo of a recycle symbol. She's recycling everything That'd be she so finds. so funny. <laughs> Absolutely. Gotta protect the environment. Absolutely. Um, all right. So the last thing that I want to touch on for the character creation process is choosing ciphers. Yep. Um, this one's kind of open-ended somewhat. Yes. Uh, so ciphers... Uh, a quick uh, refresher. Ciphers are single-use items. So when you create your character, you get to pick a few. Now or roll for it. Yeah, but I feel like most players would want to pick them so they can optimize yeah. their character for one use. Yeah. Um, whether it's a thing that gives you teleportation powers, flying, there's one that lets you just walk through walls because that wouldn't be inconvenient as the GM. But it would be inconvenient <laughs> once, right? <laughs> just did you? Is that what you picked? Yes. I saw his big old grin. I assumed it. He picked the thing. Why, why didn't you use that earlier? I never needed to. <laughs> oh yeah, you guys got in. I guess you could just walk right through the door at that point. <laughs> So yeah. ciphers are actually a pretty cool part of the game. We've talked about it in the previous episode. Uh, took a little bit of length, but and you can always slot and you know, number them at once too, depending on what your type yep. is. So so you pick them out and then you find more as the adventure goes on. Yep. But since you can only carry so many, you're encouraged to do what? Use them. Yep. Yeah. How many of you guys actually used a cipher? I know. I know. Uh, Alex did with the grenade. Yeah. I didn't. I want to, but I didn't. Why? Because you were saving it for a moment, weren't you? Well, when that moment passed, I still had the ability to use it. But then I had the Staff of Destruction, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was running off, and I was thinking, okay, I can either shoot him, or I can put the Staff on my back, because now that it's my equipment, it'll teleport with me. Mm. And I can just run off. 
Yeah. Which but, you but were you, about to do, but your but, party is just like, what are you doing? There, there was that. Uh, he was still in the fight, and you kept egging me on to use it. Well, yeah, because it was the end, and I was like, I wanted you to use it. Because if you so, didn't use it, you wouldn't have what? Found out what it found was. Out what it was. And I was like, so I put I too much it, thought in that. did was, not get used. I was pretty happy that I found out what it was. Yeah. yeah. And so. the fact that it was one use item because an RPG or Rock Hunter comes with one piece of ammo. Yeah, that's why I picked it. I still left. When I played the game at Dragon <laughs> Con, my cipher was... It essentially act, act as the movement tracker in like the alien movies where <laughs> it's like their radar, but yes. they only appear when, when something moves. And I'm like, okay, I'm in the forest. <laughs> I'm being stalked by five foot spiders. They're all over us, man. Get, so <laughs> I, I'm just going to activate it just so I can see what's coming at me from where. <laughs> and the GM's like, you activate the cipher and you regret it almost immediately because <laughs> your radar turns solid. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Run away. You got a teleport cipher? Um, and so this goes back to... Uh, uh, the fact that they're, you're encouraged to use them. You get to pick them to some extent. Yep. Some backgrounds and stories will let you know what they do. Others, you won't know what they do. And I think that brings a level of fun to the game that is missing in some games. Yep. That's why I like Wild Magic yeah. Sorcerer and the, for you D&D refugees. Okay. Well, I do want to mention, too, that we did cover the main character building options. Yes. But it does touch on here that there, there, there are other things, too. Like, you can add some flavor, for example. Mm-hmm. But in like some of the genres, they can add additional stuff. Like uh, like in the fantasy one, they add like options for like add these to your stat block if you're a dwarf, elf, right, and right, so forth. Or doing spells and yeah, there, it really is. It's 400 pages. Uh, Alex, were you gonna say something? Oh, I was just going to mention once again, uh, since this was in the previous episode, I just want to mention once again that. Uh, for foci and for um, your like class speaker uh, and for the adjective, they do have in the book, or at least in the SRD, they had a section on how to create your own with your dungeon yes. master and like a guide of how to create your own. So if nothing that you see in the book really sounds yep. interesting to you, make your own. Yeah. It's totally yeah. legal to make your own. Absolutely. And I love that yeah. because they're giving you everything you need to expand upon the game. Oh, yeah. So, uh, my only complaint though I had was, was was reading through like some of the, the, the descriptors. Okay, most of them are good, but every now and then I feel like my red team's like, okay, you gave some stats, but then you went, oh crap, we've got to give him a weakness. We're just gonna put this one on there. I'm like, this feels like it has nothing to do. It doesn't with do with anything to do with it. Or... Although the big offender for me was calm, but when you actually read it, it's like, oh, your strength are you are well read, so you know a lot about a bunch of subjects, and because it's not your time studying, you have no physical abilities. I'm like, that's not cool. I'm not being a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> that's my life. Uh, all right. So overall, the character <laughs> creation process is pretty swift and light. It can be. Um, but it cannot. It yeah. It can be simple to learn, but there's a lot of more depth to it and to the yeah. options and choices you yeah. pick. And I will admit, I did save myself a lot of time by – it's like, okay, this is all I need to know to build my character for this adventure, so I didn't read through everything. Right, right. I just read through all the stuff I needed to know and moved on. Yeah, and that's perfectly okay. Oh, yes. Uh, which is great for new players that want to try it. Yep. Um, it's easy to get into new game masters. Um, overall, what is your guys' thoughts? Uh, we'll start with Alex, um, the character creation process for Numenera or Cypher System. I had a lot of fun with character creation, even though there were some really difficult parts. Even me, a person who has a really difficult time reading, I found that very easy to read through. And it, it was, it, it was again, except for the equipment, it's extremely intuitive. It makes sense. You just sit there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, at Beth, yeah, that makes sense. So it just, that's what I say about the character, the character creation. It makes Although sense. Although it is worth noting that once we actually knew where the equipment was. <laughs> yeah, but once again, it needs to be. It made sense yeah, again, right? But like. From the beginning. So yeah. I found the character creation process to be very straightforward, very fun, and I kind of want to play another game. It was very straightforward, and it's it is user friendly. It is placed from chapter to chapter. You just go from top to bottom. That's how you get your character done. The only thing I don't like is that there's certain things that uh it talks about, like oh, make sure you get your skills. Like well, okay, the warrior only gets one skill. It'd be nice if it said hey. Sometimes you might not get a bunch of skills. <laughs> so I'm sitting on this book just looking for hours like, where the fuck are all these skills at? I don't get – there's an chap entire chapter for abilities, and I don't know why they're there. Oh, no. I have no idea. Is it because you're a warrior? Huh? No. It's just in general in the book. Oh, you don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, that's well, experience. Yeah, You'll also, get there. Also, my well, warrior was stupid, so. Well, I also had a lot of abilities, too, so I actually used that chapter. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hey there, RPG fans. Do I got something awesome for you. Blood and Doom, a dark fantasy tabletop role-playing game, a collaborative and immersive storytelling experience shared by a game master, which they call a doomsayer in Blood and Doom, and a nice group of players. Yeah, I'm sure you're nice. You may have seen similar games being played on shows like Stranger Things and Big Bang Theory and other tabletop uh, shows. Well, in Blood and Doom, players take on the role of adventurers in a doomed world where the influence of a malevolent cult is slowly corrupting the land and its people, with its secrets and danger lurking around every corner. The game is published by Dice Tale Games and is conceived by its amazing creative team that includes several any award-winning writers and game developers. The Blood and Doom Quick Start Primers will be releasing on March 21st, free to everyone. So don't miss out on it. It offers a massive chunk of the game's rule set and a large part of its setting and two playable adventures at no cost to you. The primers come ahead of Blood and Doom's Kickstarter release on April 4th. It will feature three rule books with over a thousand pages of content, an epic soundtrack, a doomsayer screen, and Roll20 integration, and so much more. So, are you ready for a dark fantasy? You're gonna wanna check out Blood and Doom. Follow them at rebrand.ly slash doom. Now here is our unearthed tips and tricks, system agnostic content for your tabletop RPG game. Our encounter is the Lost Temple of the Moon. Now, I love a good adventure hook, and I want to see where we can make this go, you guys. Okay. The characters are hired by a local historian to explore a long-forgotten temple, supposedly. Problem is, is the temple only appears every so often, specifically during a full moon, as it is a temple to the moon goddess. Now, Ooh. it's said to contain a powerful artifact. So this historian is looking to not only get the artifact but to collect as much knowledge and stuff but as with any potential ancient structure what is the risk oh dimensional traps hidden guardians just um unstable terrain in general beasts too right all that stuff right so your goal is to get into this temple find this artifact and deal with all the traps because the historian has to come behind you and catalog everything. So, we'll have Alex go first. What are some unique traps in this Temple of the Moon or dangers that might exist that the characters would run into? Do you have anything? So, I'm totally going to steal this from Final Fantasy. Do it, girl. I'm 14. I'm not going to lie. I love Final Fantasy. But in Final Great Fantasy 14, in one of the new in one of the new areas, there's a mechanic that has to do with the phases of the moon. So, you have That's to hot. stand on specific phases of the moon while the clock. So, like what I would do is I would have different different um plates on the floor that are different phases of the moon. And there's um and there's like um a, a clock on on the wall and as the clock changes its hour, different phases of the moon become safe and different phases of the moon become unsafe. And That's what awesome. it is is it's like becoming a full waxing waning waxing waning, and so you have to figure out which ones are safe and which ones are not safe depending on whether how waxing and how waning the moon is. So does That's that what slowly do. open like a door or? Yeah, so it's like to get to the other side. Okay. It's like a, it's like a it would be like a hallway and there's like a safe pass that you can take. Ah, but in order to take it, like you need to know what phase of the moon is coming next. So tech to the only people who would be able to pass it is people who know the phases of the moon, like people who worship a moon goddess. Yes. I, I like this because it delves big into knowledge checks and lore checks and potential backgrounds. I can see a circle of the moon druid knowing this yep. and shining here. Of course, you'd be the only one person that could just like climb on a wall and walk past it anyway. But because basically, what you would have to do is you would have to walk down the hallway in or the order of the moon phases. So you would have to go from uh, a new moon to like tiny bit, tiny bit, tiny bit, and then half, tiny bit, tiny bit, tiny bit, whole, yep. and then like that. go back down. And so you would have to you would have to um, go with the phases of you would have to walk the phases of the moon. That's cool. 
I like it. And yeah. I pictured a room where when the players walk into it, the roof is actually open. And in the middle of the room, they see a floating gyroscope with a magnifying glass in it. <laughs> and kind of like, though, you know how you use a magnifying glass to, like, roast ants with the sun? <laughs> it does that with the moon. <laughs> and it moves around. <laughs> and the ants are the characters. Yes. Uh, the mobile moonbeam. Pretty much. <laughs> moonbeam power! And it will be only active if it's in an area where the moon's visible. Oh, jeez. Or if the... So, so, so the players can figure out potentially, wait, if we stand here in the shadows... You don't get zapped? Or if, if we stand stand behind where the moon is so we can't focus the moon's beam then, that could create a, a puzzle as well, too. Oh, I like that. What about you, B? That's a good one. Okay, so this kind of builds off of uh, Alex's hallway, right? Okay. You can step on plates, they go from waxing to waxing Gibeah's full moon, and so on. A lot of people would assume that, that the full moon is safe. Mm-hmm. And they step on the panel of the full moon. But specifically, like maybe there's different variations of the full moon that are put out because there's 12 different full moons throughout the year. There's like the wolf moon, the rabbit moon, the strawberry moon, all, all those things. So if I've you only step... ever seen one moon, so... Shut up. But let's say you step on one that represents more of an aggression, like a wolf or something like that. You step on that, and you trigger the trap. But instead of you being the victim... uh walls 10 feet behind you collapsing on your party members because you're the one that fucked up <gasps> oh that's mean yeah it is <laughs> so what i'm thinking is the types of guardians in this thing Ooh. i think the perfect guardian sailor or cultist <laughs> should sailor senshi should totally be were creatures were rats werewolves oh my god <laughs> i think that they would make for a great cultist location <laughs> get his warehouses this place smells like God damn it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> warehouses so i think that we got some really good ideas here um and i think that that can make it really interesting i think for something like this we'll go back to the we'll stick with the phases of the moon theme that we've kind of developed having a phases of the moon kind of scattered out throughout the leading up to some of these traps and puzzles that actually reveals not only information about like a scene about the goddess and how she, you know, has lived her life or whatever, you know, from birth to marriage, all that sort of stuff. But in it are clues how to pass some of those traps. So as the players are going in before they ever encounter the traps, there are warnings to all those who follow the, the moon goddess. Yeah, so that delves into the lore and the exploration, and of course with the were creatures, the the combat. Putting runes in the temple to explain how to navigate the temple, give hints to it, but only have it appear when moonlight is present. Oh my goodness, that is genius. Yeah, it is. So then you get like a collection of mirrors and people trying to point the <laughs> point the mirrors. Then you have to do that in like one of the Zelda games with the mirror shield. Yeah. Or someone casts Moonbeam. Mm -hmm. Or cast Moonbeam. Oh, that's another good one. So there's a lot oh, of different things you can do. Or just go in there at night. Yep. Because let's be real here. Most player parties will probably go in the, something like this in the middle of the day. So yeah. I think it's great. I think it's great. And I think that, that something like this is really good because your goal isn't just to find the artifact, but you have to find out a way to travel through and disarm all the traps so that a civilian basically can go through it. Just don't miss one. Or you'll get here in the news. What if the Tonight party... on Water Deeps News... Our local historian has disappeared in the temple yep. after a group of adventurers should have disabled all the traps. Yep. Deep investigations at Waterdeep. <laughs> what if the players discovered that you said it only appears on a full moon, right? Sure. Well, the historian tells them this on the last night of the full moon. It's about the full moon's about to go go away, mm -hmm. and they have a specific time limit to get this stuff taken care <gasps> and of. If they Otherwise, they, they get stuck. For they a disappear month. wherever it goes. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. They just end up in the Fey realm That's for thirty fun. days, which oh is like thirty years. Thirty in the real years. World. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that'll do for our encounter: the lost <laughs> temple of the moon goddess. Oh, that would suck. Our magic item today is the moonstone amulet. This item is really interesting. We. We think that, uh, you know, having an object, an artifact uh, item that 
and was used by priestesses and priests of a uh, goddess of the moon would be a powerful and fun, not only religious tool, but something that gives the players um, a bit of fun without being too um, powerful. Of course. And so when I think moon, I think tides. Yep. So why not having a magic item that allows the player to control water? In large amounts, Ooh. right? Yeah. Creating small floods and zones, um, and increase the rays of, of water, create water out of nowhere to create small <laughs> little tidal waves or make it rain, a myriad of different things like that. What? <laughs> I was just Not with the money. Uh, what are some abilities <laughs> you think an amulet like this could fit? And once again, this is meant to be system agnostic, so you as the game master can kind of add or take away what you like, what you don't like. Hopefully this inspires you. If you're controlling the weather or the tides, something I can see you doing is if you're on a river and need to transport quickly, increasing the flow at the very speed. Oh, that's cool. I may have gotten the idea for white weather routing in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> or vice versa. They pull a Moses to stop a ship from getting away. <gasps> Part the oh. Red Sea. Part the water with your, your power of this amulet so they can't actually keep going. Yep. That is really cool. I'd like that. Or maybe it's just you need to get across somewhere and there's a wagon, no boat. You split the you split the sea and you guys just walk across. Jeez. Oh, so this is probably because I grew up in a port city. I grew up in I grew up on an island. Oh, I'm sorry, are we giving you like some some nightmares here or no, no, no. But that's probably why my mind went into a different place. My mind went that if you have a port city, the number one thing that is important about the port city is the port. So screw up the port. Bring the tide up so high. I'd bring the tide up so high that the the um, boats uh, float like they get they get uh, unhooked and they float because they just they just wrap them around the yep. thing. They don't like anchor them. <laughs> so away. then then you float them float them to on top of the uh, ports and then drop the sea level. Yep. I would I would I would see this as like hey city. I see. I don't see. I actually don't see a good person using this. I see a villain using this. <laughs> of course, this. You do. I was just, a villain was just who the moment you said, "Hey, city," he's like, "Uh oh." <laughs> I I see a villain using this and a villain uh, messing with a port city. But again, I I grew up in a port city, so that makes sense. Yeah. So our uh, producer here actually just alluded to something similar about whether they're using this power to affect a great tide, have it had an unintended consequence somewhere else. Every time you yeah. use it, let's say if you, you – maybe you're flooding the city because it's overrun by zombies. And then you find out that you also pulled that in and flooded another city. Or – or caused a major drought. Or so maybe a, a maybe a big uh, major drought, yeah. Or maybe a ship wrecked because when you pulled in the tide, it ran ashore on um, something under the water that normally isn't a problem. Well, I mentioned white water rafting in the spring. I've been on like the New River multiple times in uh, West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And when you go there in the summer, there's a a spot in the middle called Jump Rock, which is like a well, obviously an outcropping in the middle of the river that people just jump off of just for fun. And this is like 15 feet above the water, depending on how high the river is. When we went in the river in the spring, when the river levels were higher, Jump Rock was underwater. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds dangerous if you're in white rod or rafting, might smash into it. Yeah. Um, so other powers that you would be able to give this is some sort of moon power where it shoots a beam of white energy for 5e or a spell attack like force damage or radiant damage if you'd want. Uh, I really think lunar immunity would be a really good one too. So typically werewolves can't control their transformation, right? What if wearing this amulet was used by a priest who secretly had it forged because he was a werewolf and it stopped him from transforming? And he could turn it on and off. When you pull it off, he would transform at will. That would be pretty neat aspect. That's cool. Because it's very neat. Really it's neat. very that, niche. I like that. But that, that's a quest hook, right? You can almost even use that as the main artifact in a lost temple of the moon goddess. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so uh, one other thing I'd like to touch on for this before we uh, finish up is... 
because it ties into the moon theme, find a, I can see this as a D&D player maybe giving an extra shape-shifting form to a circle of the moon druid. Mm-hmm. So it becomes specific to that type of character. Is there a, there's another, is there any other classes or subclasses that, uh, maybe a gloom stalker? I could see an argument for benefit. There is a moon sorcerer now. I didn't know that. And that would be fantastic because the moon sorcerer is from Dragonlance. And so it's kind of difficult to integrate it into other worlds. Right. So this would be a great help and a great starting point to try to integrate the moon sorcerer from Dragonlance into your world mm-hmm. by building out these things. Like maybe the moon sorcerers were revered by werewolves. And you know, that Ooh, that's I how, like that. and a moon sorcerer crafted this amulet. And that's how you start building that out. And that's the the seed that gets planted, you know? Yeah. I was also thinking potentially because it's night, the circle of dreams do it as well. <laughs> So yeah, so there's there's options you can do to make it fit your uh, stories and campaigns. That'll do it for our magic item, the Amulet of the Moon Goddess. That'll do it for the show today. Please join us in two weeks as we get to the last part of the Cypher System discussion. We're going to delve greatly into the core mechanics. So if you like the crunch, you're going to learn a lot. If you don't like the crunch, you're still going to learn a lot because we're going to also delve in to how you can use some of these mechanics into your RPG, no matter which game you're playing. So if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, visit CritAcademy.com, pick up some of our fat loots. We got many options to fit every table. Follow us on social media. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Alex. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening. Have fun on your adventures and don't be a dick.